Good morning, everyone. It is Pentecost. I love Pentecost because I'm a Pentecostal. <laughs> it's kind of important to us. It's in the name. Um, I'm also an Anabaptist, but I imagine a number of you I've talked to about this by now, but I actually grew up in a tradition where we didn't really know. I never, I grew up in church and I never knew what Pentecost even really was about. I knew it was an obscure church holiday, kind of. And that was kind of it. <laughs> and, um, so um, later in my journey, I, uh, I went looking for something that I felt was missing in, in my own journey with the Lord, but also in the, in the church. Um, I sensed that something was missing and found myself among the Pentecostals eventually. And uh, they have really shaped you know, my understanding of the Holy Spirit and of our relationship with the Holy Spirit in some significant ways. So you'll be hearing some of that Pentecostal influence in what I share today. And I hope that won't be, you know, too scary. But I think, I think you guys are, you know, obviously very, very open. But just uh, in case you're wondering, like, huh, this is a little out of the box for, you know, Anabaptist perspective, uh, you know, I'm a hybrid. So there we go. <laughs> So Pentecost, for, for those who don't know, um, it actually, I just, because I think it's an important holiday that often gets overlooked, I'm just going to real quick, like, just make sure everyone even knows what it is. Pentecost actually was originally a, it's a Jewish holiday called Shavuot in the Old Testament. It's called the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost is the Greek term for it. So we get that in the New Testament. And the Feast of Weeks was seven times seven days after the Feast of Passover. So it was seven weeks plus one day after, um, hence Feast of Weeks, um, after the day of Passover. And it was a great day of celebration. It was, it was a holiday of joy and um, it was associated with the wheat harvest, but it was also associated with celebrating God giving the law to the people in Mount, on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. So it was, it was a very festive occasion. It was already a holiday for the disciples before the event that, that we now know as Pentecost um, happened, what we, what we read about from Acts 2 today. So Acts 2 picks, the book of Acts picks up right after the book of Luke, right where it leaves off. So at the end of Luke, um, Jesus has risen from the dead and he says to his disciples, see, um, he says, look, I am sending to you what my father has promised, but you are to stay in Jerusalem until you have been furnished with, the, with heavenly power or, with or clothed with power from on high in some translations. So he promises them, stay in Jerusalem. My father is sending you something and you'll be em empowered from, on, from heaven. And so beginning of the book of Acts, you know, they follow Jesus outside the city and they watch him ascend to heaven in the clouds. And uh, after a minute, some angels show up and give him a nudge and say, hey, quit cloud, uh, cloud gazing and, and get back into the city. And they're like, oh, right, right. Okay, cool. So they truck off to the city and they hang out for a few days and they are just praying and waiting and they start, um, they pray and they fast and they break bread together and they begin to interpret the significance of their time with Jesus and with the, uh, the significance of the events that surrounded his death and resurrection. And honestly, I doubt that in those days they even knew what exactly it was that they were waiting for. 
And then on a day that is already a holiday to them, God shows up and pours out the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders that are remarkably similar in certain ways to the same kinds of signs and wonders that happened in the Old Testament when the law was given. You know, I said that this is a holiday that in the Jewish tradition celebrates the giving of the law at Sinai. And there was a mighty wind and there was a cloud of smoke and there was fire and there was, uh, you know, all these things that happened in the Old Testament. And now the Holy Spirit shows up and do, does it in a new way. But instead of giving the law, he is like the Holy Spirit is, is giving himself. Just the Holy Spirit pours her very being into the disciples, just as Jesus had said, you know, um, I abide in me as I abide in you. And so there are these things that happen. There's the sound of this wind, which presumably this is happening indoors. They talk about the, the walls being shaken and tongues of fire descending, people speaking in tongues language barriers being, barriers being supernaturally resolved. There's prophecy and anointed preaching, salvation, visions, dreams, miraculous and mysterious signs, which is the mark of the Holy Spirit in a lot of ways. That is the signature of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in my own experience, when the Holy Spirit shows up and starts doing stuff, things often get a little weird and it's great, but you know, it's, it's out of our comfort zone, you know? So um, as I mentioned, the, uh, the church that I grew up in didn't, didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit like pretty much ever. Um, the pastor at one point joked about like, we're not, I guess we're not a very good Trinitarian church because we, really, we don't really ever talk about the Holy Spirit. And like joked about it from the pulpit. And we we're like, oh, ha, ha. but it's kind of a big deal, I realized later. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and I think we just sort of underestimate sort of the significance of what happened on this day of Pentecost. So um, I, as I said, I knew something, I, I sensed that something was missing and I, I went looking, I found myself among people from the Pentecostal tradition and they taught me about what they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something that sounded vaguely familiar to me from scripture, but which I really had no grasp on. And among Pentecostals, we take note of how in scripture, even for people who are already believers, there's this secondary experience of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we describe as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's this experience that's not quite, it's not the same as salvation. It's secondary to that. And sometimes it happens at the same time. And sometimes it doesn't in both for that's the experience of, you know, believers today and also of ancient believers. We see that in scripture as well. And so this baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we believe we're seeing that, you know, it's the first act of baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're seeing in Acts 2. The disciples surely must have had the Holy Spirit in some sense before that day. I mean, they'd been living with Jesus for three years. How could they not? You know, they were obviously believers. And in John 20, 22, it says that after the resurrection, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's not that they were totally separate from the Holy Spirit or that the Spirit was unknown before this. So something else was happening. And when Peter stands up and begins interpreting this event, you know, in Acts 2 and begins, you know, describing what's happening, he describes it as this outpouring of the Spirit. And... And basically, you know, from the Pentecostal perspective, we see that, that we see it as sort of a, um, a process of the spirit empowering, uh, empowering believers to, to live in a way that is, you know, impossible from human means, you know, uh, my mentor used to say, 
the Christian life isn't meant to be hard. It's meant to be impossible. <laughs> and um, because his ways are not our ways, you know. So here and elsewhere in the New Testament, there are indications that the early church lived expectant of the Holy Spirit's manifest presence and power. And not only that extraordinary day of Pentecost, but the early church continued to expect such outpourings upon believers with miraculous and mysterious outward signs. There were um, a few, there are a few passages that refer to believers not having this experience. And those are actually treated as anomalies. And that's in Acts, I thought I had it written down here, but it's in Acts 8 and Acts 19, that that, if, if for anyone who wants to go kind of see what I'm talking about. But the you know, situations where people, where believers have not had some kind of empowerment by the Holy Spirit are treated as like, oh, that's weird. Here, let's go, let's go pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit, you know, people who are already Christians. Now, I love and completely and fully affirm the very communal and justice-oriented understanding of the Holy Spirit's work that the Anabaptist tradition has, as, as I understand it. You know, I'm a new Anabaptist, but... But so speaking truth to power and advocating for the vulnerable and the oppressed and the poor, yes, absolutely. The work of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. And the mission of the Holy Spirit. But maybe it's just a Pentecostal influence on me, but I believe that, that that's not all there is to it, that there is this other side of it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit still rests upon and empowers believers and manifests her presence in the Christian community in marvelous and miraculous ways at certain times. And so Acts 2 just was not a one-off, just a totally one-off event. It was the first day of a new kind of relationship between God and her people. So I wanted to just share a few brief anecdotes, just a few brief stories from my own journey about some of the ways that I've seen the Holy Spirit move in my own life and in communities that I've been part of, which just illustrate how I and, and others, and not only Pentecostals, this is, I, I'm not meaning to say this is the property of Pentecostal perspective, you know, at all. It's just, it's, it's really emphasized in that community in a way that it isn't generally in other communities. But yeah, just to kind of illustrate some of, you know, how I've seen some of these things manifest, some of these same phenomena that, that are mentioned in Acts 2. So, so first, I have experience of God's presence manifesting in auditory and visual ways. So, you know, there was this, this wind and this, and the tongues of fire that they see in Acts 2. I've, I've had some interesting experiences of, of, of perceiving God's presence like that. And I know other people who have as well. And one example that was especially just kind of meaningful to me uh, happened several years ago. When I was 19, uh, I was staying in my parents' house. And one night I woke up to a home invader in my room. And Thank God that did not end as badly as it could have, but it was a terrifying and traumatic experience for me. And it really disturbed my sleep for a really long time. And this went on for a few years and a couple, and after a few years after this event, I was staying at my parents' house again, and it was my first time sleeping in that room again, where that, where that same event had happened. And so I was staying with them for a few weeks and, and over and over, I kept waking up in the night, just my heart pounding fearful and gasping and and just feeling like someone was there in the room and and just it was really causing problems for me so one such night I, I woke up and I you know I'm like gasp awake and I just like force myself to just like keep my eyes closed like you don't have to turn on a light and look around like just it's okay and trying to calm myself down and I'm laying there and finally I just like and I just like open my eyes while I'm laying there and 
above me, I see a shining gold cloud <laughs> in my bedroom, honestly. And, uh, and I was laying there and just like, I literally did the thing like they do in movies where I'm like, I'm awake, right? Like, what is, what am I seeing here? And my parents live in this, this old Victorian house with 12 foot high ceilings. So there's a lot of space between me and that ceiling and it is full of this shining gold cloud. And, um, and several times in scripture, we see examples of God's spirit showing up and manifesting, being seen as a shining cloud. It happens a bunch of times in the Bible and, and I'm laying there and I'm staring at this and, and it occurs to me, oh, there is someone in the room with me while I sleep. I don't have to be afraid. God is here with me. And I just felt this overwhelming peace settle over me. And, um, and I just laid there and was looking at this and was just like, wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for showing me this, for showing me your presence in such a tangible way. And um, sorry, getting emotional. And I thanked God for it. And the cat was, after a few minutes, the cloud started to fade and I just laid down and went back to sleep. And honestly, I have very rarely had trouble sleeping um, out of fear. I've very rarely woken up fearful like I used to again. Life in the spirit. Uh, another experience that I had had to do with healing and healing isn't directly mentioned in Acts 2, but uh, it is it is mentioned in the events immediately following the day of Pentecost and it comes up over and over in the New Testament. It was a very common manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence for the early church was, was healing. So um, many of you know, I used to, I used to live in Jerusalem and while I was living there, I was part of a church that often prayed for healing. And that was a common part of our, of just our practice as it was needed. We'd pray for healing. And sometimes people were indeed healed. I saw some pretty amazing, some pretty amazing things, you know, saw, um, you know, a man who had broken his leg about a block away from our church and laying on the ground and his legs twisted at this crazy angle and he's screaming in pain. He can't even sit up from the pain. And we prayed for him and he stood up and walked away right in front of some very confused paramedics who had shown up. Um, and so we were seeing some things like this and it didn't happen all the time, but it, you know, we, we saw some people healed sometimes. And I have my sister's permission, by the way, to, to share this with you. But my, one of my sisters um, has suffered from just debilitating stomach pain since she was, since she was young and just had for many years had had horrific pain that had landed her in the hospital and, and no doctors had been able to di even diagnose it, much less treat it. Um, so she was just in pain all the time. And so I, one evening was talking on, you know, um, instant messenger with her and telling her about some of the, you know, like I've been seeing people get healed miraculously, which was not something I'd ever even realized God still did. And she jokingly was like, man, I should come visit you and get my stomach healed. And I was like, yeah, you really should. <laughs> we just had this moment she's like oh hang on she goes and looks it up and she comes back a few minutes later and says you know there's one flight that I can afford to to Israel and it leaves in five hours can I come visit you and uh and I was like yeah please do so she hops on a plane shows up and um and a group of people from my church prayed for her every night that she was there with us for a week and every day the pain got less and less and less and it was amazing. But one of the odd things was that it didn't go away fully. When she left, she was still having pain. When she ate, it just wasn't nearly as intense. 
but she was like still very thankful and we all work and we're, we're thanking God for this. And, um, and she flies home to California and visited with a prayer group from that same church that we had grown up in that I said, didn't really talk about the Holy spirit. And she told them what had happened to her. And this group, this particular prayer group had become very, had, had started, you know, asking God to show them kind of to reveal the spirit to them in a, in a new way and everything. And, and it was, but it was still very new and unfamiliar. So they were like, can we try praying for you? And she's like, sure, go ahead. So they pray for her as well. And the pain went away and stayed away. And this pain she'd had for many years. And, and she prayed about it later and was like, God, why did you wait until I got back to California to heal me all the way? Why didn't you heal me the first time? And God said, because I wanted you to know that it was me who healed you. It wasn't some special people. It wasn't that Israel is a magical land. It wasn't that there are some people whose prayers get answers and others who don't or anything like that. I am the one who healed you. And I wanted you to, to know that with confidence. And she does. And yeah. And finally, the last story I'll share was, um, has to do with it, it, an experience with prophecy. So you know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And in Pentecostal circles, we just, we, um, we just believe that if the Holy Spirit lives in and works through God's people, it's kind of to be expected that sometimes the Holy Spirit will share, share with people about or for the benefit of, of other people. And it's not, you know, in the thus saith the Lord kind of way, or I mean, some people take it that way. But um, in my own experience, it was usually when we offered one another, one believer to another, what we called, you know, we called it a prophetic word. It was usually very edifying. And, and, you know, in first Corinthians 413, 14, three, sorry. Um, it says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and consolation. So we would speak, you know, sometimes we pray for one another in this community and, and, um, and would just sort of share what we believe the Lord was saying. And I noticed a distinct pattern over the years that over and over from everyone from strangers to friends and mentors, I kept on getting words from people that had to do with flowers. Happened over and over, this very strong flower theme. People would come up to me and said, I had a vision of you surrounded by flowers. I saw Jesus giving you a flower. I hear the spirit saying that you are a flower to him. And you know, like the... I got words about flowers for years, over and over and over. And so many, it happened in at least five different church communities. It happened, it was like crazy. And, and I was like, okay, flower thing, great, cool, got it, that's nice. And honestly, I, like, I, I had tried to understand what that meant. I looked up the significance of flowers in the Bible and stuff, and it just hadn't come up hadn't come up with anything meaningful. So I reached the point where, you know, I'm like, you know what? Like I was a little underwhelmed, like flowers just seem decorative and fleeting and insubstantial to me. So that's not really a very good word. So I would just kind of smile politely and be like, okay, thanks, you know, move on. And finally about five or six years into this, so a woman I vaguely knew from church came up to me and she, you know, had written down a note. She was like, Hey, I wrote this for you. And it was just sort of a word of encouragement. I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you. And I read it and of course it's another flower word. I'm like, okay, thank you. And internally I just roll my eyes. I'm like, you, of course, all right. God doesn't say anything else to me. And, uh, and I walk away and I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, excuse me, 
if you understood the significance of what this word means, you would not despise it. You would be praising me for it. And very chastened, I was like, okay, wow, Lord, you're right. I'm so sorry, but you've got to help me understand it. I don't, I don't get it. What you're trying to tell me, I don't get it. And a few days later, I'm washing the dishes and looking out the window and there's this bush with these blossoms on it and some bees flying around on it. And for some reason, I just found my attention like magnetically drawn to staring at these blossoms and these bees on this bush. And, you know, it was like, in retrospect, it reminds me of how, you know, it says Moses saw the burning bush and he turned aside to like really look at it. You know, it's like he saw it, but then he like saw it, you know, and I'm just like looking at this. And by this point, I had noticed that this happened, uh, this has happened a few times to me in my life. And, and I noticed that I'm like, God's trying to get my attention about something. I'm like, God, why am I staring so intently at some flowers and bees right now? And, uh, and I hear the spirit say one word, cross-pollination. And I wait for more and nothing. So I'm like, okay, what about it? And then in my spirit, I hear, um, go and look up what it is, how it works and why it's important. So I do that and darn if the first article that my Google search turns up is not titled The Purpose of Flowers. <laughs> like you've got to be kidding. And it turns out flowers are absolutely essential for the life and growth and survival of a species. So are bees and, and fun fact, my lifelong family nickname is bee. And so I continue to explore and pray about what this meant and the Lord was showing me that like, in the health of the church, in the health of, of a society or, or a family or whatever, that, that cross-pollination is needed because we need to, that I, that I as a cross-pollinator am, am someone who is meant to be shaped by and touched by many different traditions and influences and to carry the strengths of those different influences with me as I cross over boundaries and as I you know, break past silos that insulate people from one another and that keep us kind of in the, the echo chambers that are so common in our, in our society today, you know, inside and outside of the church. And the, it was the spirit's revelation and the exercise of the prophetic word from one believer to another that helped me to understand who God made me and why in this way. And it's because I have the confidence that I'm a cross pollinator and that I was created for that, that I can share these stories with you in a, you know, in a setting where this is, you know, a little outside of what's, what we're comfortable with. Because I know that, because I just have confidence that as Anabaptists, we will be healthier and more Christ-like for allowing ourselves to learn from and be influenced by the strengths of other traditions. And it doesn't mean we're not Anabaptists. We are what we are, but, you know, but before that, we are the body of Christ. We're one part among many members. And if we're hands, we cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. So, Finally, I just want to highlight the joy uh, in Acts 2, that the Spirit's um, arrival is, comes with great joy for believers. And, um, and you know, the, the disciples were accused of being drunk, and people don't spontaneously start speaking other languages when they're drunk, so I don't think that's what it was referring to. <laughs> I imagine that they were just overcome, and they were probably acting weird, and they were just merry and joyful in a way that was like that made it clear something amazing you know they were experiencing something amazing and you know wine is a symbol of joy and um and 
celebration in the Bible and of delight. And so in my experience, just strange and wonderful things tend to happen when the Holy Spirit moves and encounters with the Holy Spirit's manifest power and presence are marked by joy often. And the Spirit waited until a celebration day, a feast day to be poured out in this way, you know. So when we read the story of Pentecost, is anything about what the disciples witnessed and experienced familiar to us? My own experience convinces me that God still works in these ways. Not, not all the time, but I personally believe that if these things are entirely absent from our lives, it may be time to pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a fresh measure or a renewal of it and, and to wait expectantly like the disciples did in Jerusalem. Ask for the Spirit's presence and empowerment and joy in your life. And let's live expectant and open to the Spirit moving in ways that are marvelous and strange. Let's believe the promise Jesus gave us in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Amen. Thank you.